Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue on in the book of Daniel. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with you. Lord, may nothing this morning distract from the principles of your word. We will give you the glory and the praise for what you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Daniel chapter 4 this morning. And I'd like to begin with a children's story or fable about the geese and the frog. Maybe you've heard this story, maybe you haven't, but uh, there was a uh, frog who lived at the farmer's pond with a couple geese. And they had spent years, you know, as the geese came through, they spent time with the frog, and, and they just had a great friendship. But one year they had a terrible drought, and the pond began to shrink and shrink and shrink. The problem was the river was about a half mile away and between the pond and the river, not only was it a long trip for the frog, but there were snakes and other frog-eating animals, and so the frog began to worry. The geese weren't concerned because all they needed to do was just fly over to the river, no big deal. And so as the pond shrank and shrank until it became a puddle, the geese said, well, frog, it's time for us to head out. We can't stay here. There's not enough water. And the frog said, well, what about me? And the geese said, well, you know, we, we, we need to go and we, we love you. You're a great friend, but uh, we need to go to the river. And the frog said, just give me 24 hours. I'm a pretty smart frog. I'll come up with something. So all night long, he thought and he thought and he thought, and the next morning as they were getting ready to go, he came up with a great idea. And so the geese were preparing to go, and the frog said, I figured it out. Here's what's going to happen. If you each take a big stick, and each of you with your bill grab one end, and the other one grab the other end, and I with my mouth will grab on in the middle, and you guys can fly, and I'll just hold on, and we'll come to the river, and you can just swoop down, and, and I'll just drop right into the edge of the river, and then you guys can drop the stick and come join me there, and we'll all live happily ever after by the river. The geese said, whoa, you're a pretty smart frog. That's a great idea. So, sure enough, they found a nice big stick, the geese each grabbed one end, the frog grabbed with its mouth the middle, and off they headed towards the river. Well, as they were flying over the farmer's field, the farmer knew the, uh, the dilemma that they were in, and, and as he looked up, he saw that the two geese and the frog and the stick, and he said, you know, hey, that's a pretty great idea, who thought of that? Pride gets us in trouble. And you know the Bible verse that says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In our story this morning as we look at Daniel chapter 4, we're looking at a king who was filled with pride. And so we need to recognize that God is in control, and because He is in control, we can live humbly 
before him. Proverbs 4, or excuse me, Daniel 4.17 says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy men in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever He will, and sets over it the lowest of men. And in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar comes through a very hard series of events in his life to recognize the truth of that statement. So as we have been doing and will continue to do, we'll begin with the story. In the first three verses, we're introduced to what's happening. And chapter 4 is very interesting because it was actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. It says in the first three verses, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar recorded this story so that the people could see the power of God. And just like chapter 2, the story includes a dream. And we find that dream recorded in verses 4-18. through 18. Things were going very well in the kingdom, but Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him. We see it introduced in verses 4 and 5. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Things were going great. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. He was panicked. And just like in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar called the Magi to come and help him understand the dream. But unlike chapter 2, he gave them the content of the dream. If you remember in chapter 2, he started by saying, okay, not only are you going to tell me what the dream means, but you're going to tell me what the dream is. Here he lays out what the dream is and asks the Magi to tell him what it means but none of them could interpret the dream. And we don't know exactly why, but just like in chapter 2, many other magi appeared before the king before Daniel finally came in front of the king. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar had a poor memory and had forgotten about chapter 2. You think he would have called Daniel first. Maybe Daniel was out traveling. If you remember, over the last couple chapters, we've seen that Daniel has done many things in the kingdom and had a very powerful position and he traveled evidently extensively. But whatever the case, none of the others were able to figure it out and so Daniel appears before him in verses 8 and 9. And it says, But at last Daniel came before me, his name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and him is the Spirit of the Holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of the Holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Now, he shared kind words about Daniel and Daniel's God. But he still separated Daniel's God from his own God. If you remember back in chapter 1, they gave all of these Jewish young people that were brought to Babylon, they gave them Babylonian names. 
right, is part of immersing them into the Babylonian culture. And so we see that, that he still wanted to call him Belteshazzar, connected with their god Bel, one of many gods that they had. But he also recognized there was something different about Daniel and his God. And in verses 10 through 17, we're given the contents of the dream. Beginning in verse 10, it says, These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was fruit or food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I was in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, so an angel came down, and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts go out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet from the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the grass or on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the basis of men. So we see that the tree, or the, the dream is about a giant tree. And the tree provides fruit and protects the world. However, the tree is cut down. And this would all take place so the world would know that God is sovereign and He rules in the kingdom of men and sets up and deposes kings. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar lays out the dream and in verses 19-27 through we see the interpretation of the dream. And when the dream was described to Daniel, it troubled him. It, it didn't trouble him that he didn't understand it. It troubled him that he did understand it and the power of the, what the interpretation of the dream meant. So notice verse 19, it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. So Daniel was saying, I wish this dream was about your enemies. Unfortunately, it's about you. Nebuchadnezzar was the tree. As king of the world power, he provided for the world around them. He provided food and protection. And, and many came under the, the spreading tree. But, the tree would be cut down and for seven years he would wander around and live with and like the animals until he recognized that the Most High was God. 
there was a band put around the base of the tree and the roots survived, which meant that Nebuchadnezzar would one day be restored. So we see in verses 26 and 27 as Daniel finishes the interpretation saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree and you're going to be cut down, but one day you'll be restored. But in verses 26 and 27, he, he gives some advice to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, and inasmuch as they gave the their command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel ended the interpretation with some advice. Drop the pride and show mercy and love. And the interpretation would be delayed and his prosperity would be extended. Now think about that. That was actually a very dangerous thing for Daniel to say. Daniel was telling the most powerful man in the world, you need to get your life straightened out. You need to change the way you, need, you do things. You need to get rid of your pride and, and show love and mercy. And be a gracious and generous king instead of a powerful, mean, nasty man. Well, we see that eventually Nebuchadnezzar was brought down. And that's found in verses 28-33. through 33. A year went by before the dream was fulfilled. And, and maybe Nebuchadnezzar worked on his humility. Maybe he didn't and God just gave him an extended period of time to try to change his ways. But one day as he was admiring his great kingdom, his great pride raised its ugly head. We see in verse, beginning in verse 28, it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the, 12, of, of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. He was probably walking on the roof, looking out over this incredible beautiful city. It says the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? What's his issue there? He has an I and my problem. Look what I did. Look at my things. So continuing on in verse 31, it says, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times or seven years shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses." That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So a year after the, the dream was interpreted, it was fulfilled. God gave Nebuchadnezzar time to change his ways, but Nebuchadnezzar continued in his pride. Look at this great kingdom that I have built. And while the words were still in his mouth, the dream was fulfilled and he was driven from men. He lived with and, and lived and acted like animals for seven years. 
But we see the end of the story that Nebuchadnezzar finally recognized, praised God in verses 34 through 37. So it's a story of his recognition of God's sovereignty and praising the God of the Israelites. Beginning in verse 34, it says, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And what does it mean he lifted his eyes to heaven? He recognized God. It says, And my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whom works all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar recognized God's kingdom was eternal while the kingdoms of men were only temporary. He understood that no matter how powerful he was, he was not as powerful as God. He, was, he recognized that God was able to raise kings up and to put them down. Now the question that theologians have debated over the years is this, did Nebuchadnezzar truly turn his life to God? And we will not know the answer till we get to heaven. Now in chapter 1, he recognized God. In chapter 2, he recognized God a little more. In chapter 3, he recognized God a little more. Now here in chapter 4, he recognizes Him and even praises Him. But we will never know that answer but what about in our life? How does this affect us? Well, a couple, couple simple things to say, but difficult things to do will help us to apply what the lessons are in this story. One, we need to recognize that God is in control of the situation. That was the battle that Nebuchadnezzar faced. He trusted his own power. He considered himself the center of the universe. Look at me. Look what I have done. What is pride? Pride is an exaggerated and dishonest self-evaluation. Pride is what caused Satan to rebel. Isaiah 14 tells us a story where Satan desired to be like the Most High. Pride was the foundation of Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve. He told them that they could be like God. Pride is one of the greatest stumbling blocks in a person trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Why does pride keep people from trusting Christ? Well, it can give a false view of themselves. They don't believe that they need God's forgiveness. They can do it on their own. They don't think that they're that bad. 
And they're unwilling to humble themselves and admit that they need God and Christ's forgiveness. You may be here this morning or watching this morning and, and you've never come to a point in your life where you've said, yes, I can't do it myself. I can't earn my way into heaven. And I, as a humble sinner, come needing the grace of a holy God and the forgiveness provided by Jesus Christ. What about followers of Christ? We struggle with pride in our daily lives. It, it rears its ugly head. We attempt to live on our, on the, in our own power. False view of who we are and what we can do. But what about Nebuchadnezzar? He finally came to the recognition that God was sovereign and he was not. And we need to humble ourselves under His authority. I need to humble myself. When I recognize that God is sovereign, it should lead to me humbling myself. There's a story of Napoleon in the, at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. Napoleon on the morning of the battle described his, his strategy to one of his officers. He said, we'll put the infantry here, the cavalry over there, the artillery in that spot. At the end of the day, England will be at the feet of France and Wellington, who was the opposing British general, will be the prisoner of Napoleon. The officer, according to the story, responded, but we must not forget that man proposes and God disposes. Napoleon replied, I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. Well, the novelist Victor Hugo reportedly wrote about that conversation. He said this, From that moment, Waterloo was lost. For God sent rain and hail so that the troops of Napoleon could not maneuver as he had planned. And on the night of the battle, it was Napoleon who was the prisoner of Wellington in France was at the feet of England. What happened? They had some fierce weather and it caused Napoleon to delay his attack and also made it harder to attack. And because of that delay, the Prussians, there was a, a group of different nations led by England, but others with it, and a group of Prussian soldiers were able to get there in time to help and while the battle began in Napoleon's favor, it ended with defeat. Napoleon needed to recognize that it was God who is powerful. It is God who is the one who controls. It is God who is sovereign. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar had that same struggle. But what about us? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-7 through seven says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And then it goes on the last part of 5 into 6 and 7. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. We need to recognize that God is in control of the situation. Nebuchadnezzar, throughout his recording of the story that we find in Daniel chapter 4, said that the world may know that the Most High rules in the affairs of men. He sets up kings. He takes down kings. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. We need to recognize that God is in control. And when we truly recognize that God is in control, we can let go and allow Him to work. But when we don't recognize, we don't do that, do we? We hold on to everything. We make sure that that we are moving the chess pieces in the game of life. At least we believe we are. But only when we recognize that God is sovereign will we let go and allow Him to work. When we recognize that God is in control of the situation, we can trust Him to handle it. And we can obey Him in confidence, knowing that He is in control. So whatever your situation this morning, if you're like me, You want to grab on to it and and direct it to what we think is best. But instead, we need to say, all right, God, you are in control. And I'm going to obey you and trust knowing that you are in control of the situation. You are sovereign in the affairs of men. And just like Nebuchadnezzar had to realize We need to recognize our pride and how it destroys us and ruins anything that we can do for God. We need to recognize that God is in control. We need to recognize that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever He will and sets over it the lowest of men. Let's pray. Father, We thank You that as Almighty God, You are in control of the situation. Lord, we pray that You would help us to trust You. Lord, for those who may be attempting to to make it to heaven on their own by their good works, help them to recognize that it's You who are sovereign and You are the One through Your grace and love who has provided salvation through Your forgiveness and not our works. Lord, help us as Your followers to to live lives humbly serving You. And Lord, may You be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.